Today on the show, I'm going to talk about yoga psychology. What is yoga psychology and how does this compare to Western psychology? And I will relate this to an article that I read on the internet about Western psychology and and the relationship to a topic that we talked about in the last couple episodes. Please support the podcast by rating, reviewing, and sharing it with a friend. If you know someone you think would benefit from it, please share it with them. Help me get the word out. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please make a donation. You can go to the storyofmepodcast.com website, and at the bottom of the site, there's a donate button, and you can help cover the expenses of the podcast. You can also go to the website to submit your own questions for the show. Go to the contact page, and you can record a question to be answered on the podcast. Thank you. Now let's get to it. Beautiful am I, bountiful am I, blissful am I, why? Welcome to the story of me with Amarjit Singh. This is where I share stories from my unconventional life and relate the psychological insights that I learned from these experiences. Each story will entertain you as well as increase your awareness of your own self-limiting patterns. Then, through the principles of yoga psychology, you will learn how to overcome the resistance that is holding you back from living a more fulfilling life. Join me every Tuesday for a new episode where I share my experiences in psychological understanding, interview guests, and answer listener questions. Now let's get started with the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding. Welcome to the show. For those of you who are new, my name is Amarjit Singh and I am your host. And for returning listeners, welcome back. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? How is life going? How are your holidays? I read an article the other day that related to the last couple episodes of the podcast, and I wanted to share it with you and at the same time explain what yoga psychology is, because it's related to the topics that we've been talking about in all the podcasts, but specifically the last couple, and this article, which has more of a Western psychology perspective to the same topic. This topic that we covered was about identity, right? Looking at yourself and trying to understand who you are. And my perspective was to learn how to break these identifications with these ideas of who you think you are. And it is these false identifications that hold us back. And we encounter these identifications because of trauma that had happened to us earlier in life or because of karma that we have from previous lives or our environment that we grow up in, our culture that we grow up in. And all these aspects make us look at ourselves in a particular way, Uh, whether they make you look at yourself and say, I'm not good enough to do this, or I don't see myself as a successful person or a person with a healthy relationship or whatever the, the 
situation is, is to look at yourself in a way that negates what you're trying to do that holds you back because this identity you have then changes your behavior. And and like I said in the, the last episode is this way that I had looking at myself where I said no one in my family went to the university and I never really thought that I would finish the university. So I had this way of looking at myself which limited my life. Because even while I was in the university, I had difficulty seeing myself as someone who was going to graduate. And as a result, I put up many obstacles for myself that made it more difficult to complete the degree. And we do this in every way when we look at ourselves as someone who's not good enough or when we look at ourselves as someone that comes from this culture. In our culture, we don't do this behavior. We don't engage in this environment. And we see this also in in poverty, right? When we look at these environments of poverty or, or when the family has a lot of difficulties with maybe one parent being in prison and, and being in this pro- poverty, the kids grow up. And what do they do is they repeat the patterns of the parents because this is how they perceive themselves. And this is why even many of these kids that grow up in this poverty don't see themselves living past 20 years old or something because they see friends being killed. They see their parents going to jail. They see all these things that then reflect back on them and they think this is the value of me. And in order to rise above these obstacles, you have to perceive yourself as someone who can do this or at least take the actions because what happens is you perceive yourself as this type of person, and then your behavior follows this. If you say, oh, I can't get up in front of this group of people and give a speech, I'm not this kind of person. And if this feeling is strong enough, it's going to prevent you from actually doing this. And and what makes you any different than someone else is not that you don't have the capacity, but that you don't see this capacity within yourself. And so this is what I'm talking about, this false identification and how it limits your experience. And when I've been doing this over the last couple episodes, I've been doing this from the perspective of yoga psychology. And I gave a brief explanation, I think it was in the first episode of yoga psychology, and I probably should have gave a a little more in-depth explanation Uh, before this episode, because it is the foundation of this podcast. And it is the way that I look at myself and I look at life. And I'm sure for many of the listeners, uh, you do the same thing. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be listening. So what I'd like to do is give you a brief explanation then of, of what yoga psychology is and how this differs from Western psychology. And then go back to this idea of this false identification from both perspectives, the perspective of yoga psychology and the perspective of Western psychology, because this is the article that I read was by Western psychologists and the research they have done to look at the same idea of who you think you are and how this affects your level of success in your life. So first, let's let's look at yoga psychology. What is yoga psychology? 
And how does this differ from Western psychology? In Western psychology, the approach is to help people acclimate to their environment better, meaning maybe they have some behavioral issues that are getting in the way and interfering with their life running smoothly, or they have cognitive issues or trauma that they're trying to overcome. And Western psychology treats people from the perspective of the body or the mind. And this is how they try to help people overcome the obstacles in their life and to understand the experience that they're having, whether they're having difficulties in relationships and don't know how to correlate the trauma of the past to the difficulties they're having now in their life. And there's different approaches to doing this. There's behavioral cognitive psychology. There's many, there's psychotherapy. There's many approaches to try to help people adjust to their life. And it's often done through the physical, emotional, or mental perspective as, like I said, trying to acclimate people to live a healthier life, whether it's based on the past traumas in their life or addictions they have or lack of understanding of the experience. Whereas in yoga psychology, it's a little different. In yoga psychology, the perspective is not from the mind or the body. It is from the true self. It's from the consciousness or the soul, whatever you want to call us. And the mind and the body are just a vehicle. And the essence is this consciousness. And it's designed not just to help people deal with difficulties in their life, but to raise their awareness of the experience of this life. And so yoga psychology is often to treat people who are healthy psychologically. And so when we look at what yoga really is, is yoga is yoga psychology. The whole system of yoga is a system of psychology. And it's interesting because often people don't understand this when I tell them, yeah, I write about or I teach, talk about yoga psychology. Even people who do yoga will ask me, what is yoga psychology? They think this is separate from what they do in the yoga studio. And this is one of the major differences between Western psychology and we can say Eastern psychology or yoga psychology is that yoga psychology is more holistic in the fact that it incorporates the mind and the body. In Western psychology, there's people who go through years and years of therapy and they can use all the latest jargon and tell you what their issues were, are, what problems they have and what the psychological terminology is to name this, and, and yet they still keep repeating these same behaviors. They still keep making the same problems for themselves. And this is because it's just an intellectual understanding. When they're talking, 
it's an intellectual understanding. Sometimes they do have the experience and they understand it this way, but most often it's an intellectual understanding. It's a mental understanding because they're treating people from the mind. Like I have said in another episode, there's three ways to understand something. The first way is by what people tell you or what a teacher has said or by what you have read. The second way is by mental inference. You know, you can see the, it's cloudy out and you can say it's going to rain today and you can deduce this through the mind. And the third way is through experience. And this is really the only true way to understand something. The first two are just preparation for the third. Because until you experience it, you truly don't understand it. And in Western psychology, often it's the first two that are used, right? And mainly the first one, the therapist is telling you, don't you think it's this is your problem? Can't you see that you're repeating this pattern? And they keep making this a more intellectual exercise. And so it's difficult for people to change through this intellectual understanding. Whereas in yoga psychology, it is understood that the psychology of the mind manifests in the body. And I've said this before, that you are exactly the way you look. Often we hear that you can't judge someone based on the way they look, and this is not true. Because your physical being is a manifestation of your psychology. And you can look at this in very simplistic ways, that if you're always sad or you're always angry, how's your face after a while? How is your posture? How is your health? And we start to, to manifest the physicality of our psychology. And we do this in the emotions that we experience. What happens with emotions and how does this affect the body? The issue with looking at someone and trying to understand who they are from their physical being is that we project our own psychology onto them. And when we project our own psychology, we don't see them for who they truly are. But if you're able to withdraw your projections, it's very easy to see people and understand who they are. If we follow the way that the body incorporates the mind and the physicality of the thoughts, we can understand better how the body represents the psychology. And I've talked about this in, in a few different episodes, but we'll get into this relationship of the mind and the body. And this will help you see how your habit patterns are formed, but also to see how the physicality of your body reacts to your psychology and then how yoga psychology can affect this process by understanding the truth behind it. So what happens is that you perceive something through one of your senses, whether you see something, you smell something, you taste something, you hear something, you feel something, or even think something. And then you react to this experience. 
For example, let's say you see something that you don't like. The mind then reacts to this, saying, okay, this is some reminds me of some trauma that I experienced as a child, and it creates a sensation from this thought. Because everything in your whole being is just a vibration. Your whole body at this very moment is just a bunch of atoms vibrating so fast that they appear to be a solid. But really they're not. They're just vibrating so fast that they have this appearance of being a solid. And if they're vibrating, that means that everything is just a sensation, a feeling. Some of these feelings we call emotions, but really everything is just a feeling. And let's try to stick to this word. So you have a thought, and this thought creates a vibration. Every thought you have creates a vibration. And this vibration affects the totality of your whole body that's vibrating. Now, depending on the type of thought it is, it will have an effect in a different area of the body. So let's say that you perceive something that reminds you of some trauma or some experience you have, and as a result, you start to feel anger. It makes you angry because you remember this experience and and the the person who perpetrated it towards you, and, and so you have this feeling that we call an emotion of anger. And what is it? It's just a vibration. And when this vibration happens, what happens to your body when you feel angry? How is your breath when you're angry? Well, the breath gets deeper and heavier and faster. And how is the heart beating? Well, you can feel your chest just pumping very hard. Well, why is that? Why, when you feel angry, that this happens to you? And so we can look at this idea of this anger being a vibration, and the vibration of anger resides in the heart center. And the vibration of anger is a very dense vibration. It's not a, it's not a light vibration. It's very dense and heavy. And it happens in the chest area, and what it does is it restricts the flow of blood to the heart because the heart isn't pumping right, and so the heart has to pump harder for the blood to come out. And what happens to the lungs is this vibration, this very dense vibration, restricts the capacity of the lungs. And so the lungs have to breathe harder in order to fill up. And when the anger goes away, then you're able to breathe better, your heart is beating a little better. But let's say that this is a consistent problem for you, that you have a lot of anger. Well, the residual vibration will start to remain there. Some of it will go away after the main anger, but it'll stay there. And after years and years, it just accumulates. And it restricts this flow of blood. It restricts the capacity of the lungs to expand and contract properly. And eventually, you'll have heart trouble or you'll have lung trouble or liver trouble. And this is because of this sensation of anger and how it affects the body. And this is how the mind and the body are related, is that the mind creates these thoughts that the body then reacts to and with these sensations. 
And eventually this will also then change the way you look, the way you move, and it changes everything about you. And so yoga psychology is geared to not only help you deal with the mental aspect of this, but also the spiritual aspect and the physical aspect. Because the physical aspect of yoga is there to help realign the body so that the prana flows properly through the body. And what is, what is prana? Prana is the life force that animates all that is living. So when you go to pick something up, it's the energy that goes to the muscle to give it the strength to pick something up. And when you're well-rested and your concentration is good, you're stronger. When you're tired, you're weaker because you're unable to concentrate the prana. In yoga, we practice controlling the prana so that we can move it to wherever we want within the body. And we learn how to control the prana through pranayama. And what is pranayama? There are exercises of breathing to learn how to control the prana. But don't confuse prana with the breath because it's not. The reason that we practice controlling the prana with the lungs is because the lungs are the only thing that we can operate consciously or unconsciously. To try to learn how to control the prana through another organ, say the heart or the liver, is very difficult because we don't know how to control this, or most people don't. But when you're able to learn and, and master controlling the prana through the lungs, through the breathing, then you're able to control it through the other organs as well. When we learn how to control the prana, then we can heal ourselves. We can move the prana to the different organs. We can understand when the prana is not moving properly. And this is what is very different from Western psychology, where we don't talk about how these emotions are, how these feelings are affecting the body so much and how to remove them. In yoga, we do this through pranayama. We do this through the physical asanas. We do this in many ways where we incorporate the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. And so in this way, it's more complete. And if you want to see how to heal yourself, you should check out episode 10, where I talk about learning how to heal yourself from habit patterns and illness and disease, because it is possible to heal yourself from all these things, but you have to understand all the aspects of how it's holding you back from living your life, whether this is through the physical aspect, the mental, or, or the emotional. So when we talk about yoga psychology, then we talk about incorporating this whole aspect of yoga through controlling the prana, because the prana flows through these different channels within the body and learning how to control them through that. Then we also talk about the chakra system, how to make sure that all the chakras are working properly, meaning that the vibration in each chakra is in balance. And this, again, is through this, these channels of prana that are going through it and how to understand how the physical body reacts to an imbalance in the different chakras. And so yoga psychology, we have this whole map that we can look at through the flow of the, the 72,000 channels where prana flows through, or 
the seven chakras that are vibrating to give energy to different areas of the body which have a physical and psychological effect and how to look at yourself to heal the imbalances. For example, the first chakra, the root chakra, is related to feeling safe, feeling grounded, feeling comfortable in your body. And so you can look at your life and say, okay, I have a lot of fear, or I, I, I feel imbalanced, I don't feel connected to earth, I don't feel connected to my life. Then you would work on the yoga exercises and meditations that are related to the first chakra. This is a much more complete way to heal yourself compared to Western psychology. If you go to a a therapist and you tell them, I'm having difficulty feeling grounded, intellectually, they would be able to articulate aspects of your life that are causing these imbalances, that are causing these habit patterns. But again, they treat them from the mind and the body. And so it's really not complete because you are not the mind and you are not the body. If you're treating things from this perspective, it's a very limiting perspective to have. And this brings me to this article that came across my news feed on uh, Facebook. And it was related to these last two episodes specifically, but overall all the episodes, but, but specifically to these last two episodes where I talked about this self-identity. And I said in the beginning that anything that changes, meaning anything that is temporary, is not you. And you should not use these as identity because these are false identifications because they are temporary, they're not you. The only identification you have is with the permanent, anything that does not change. And this is the consciousness. And when you look at things from this perspective, then you see the true you. And this is why I said that many of these habit patterns you have, you've had for so long that you consider them aspects of your personality because you don't understand the difference because you identify with all these temporary things. This article talks about a similar thing. It talks about success. And it talks about how to become successful by letting go of thinking of yourself in a particular way. So if you look at yourself now and say, I'm not capable of being successful, well, then you start to behave based on this perception and it's going to fulfill this prophecy that you have. The article, they said, the psychologist said that you should look at your future self, that you should think of the future self that is successful and then behave based upon this. And that this behavior is what changes your personality. So in a certain respect, this is true, right? If you look at yourself as successful, you start to behave more this way. And this alters the way people perceive you. And you can say it's your personality, but 
again, who are you? Are you the mind and the body and the reactions to this? And if you are, then this is your personality. But you're not. You are the spiritual being who is having a human experience. And your personality, if you want to talk about your personality, what is it? It is the true self. The true self without resistance. Because if you have fear, and this affects your behavior, this is not your personality. Sure, it's affecting your behavior, affecting how you act, but it's only affecting the personality through the human perspective, through the mind and the body, but this is limiting. If we want to look at personality, we should look at self-expression through the authentic self. The authentic self is the consciousness that comes through you, that flows through you uninhibited, without resistance. And this resistance we call this self-hate or, or this judgment and this idea of lack of self-love. And it resists your true expression. When you're able to remove this resistance, what comes through is just the authentic self the true expression of who you are. And this is where the personality comes from, from a yoga psychology perspective. Because we all have this connection to the creator. And what is the creator but consciousness? We are connected to this consciousness in our own unique way. And it is our way that we connect to it, which makes our expression unique. Now, I've talked about this in other episodes. Where I said to look at yourself as an antenna. This mind and this body are antennas, just like your fingerprints, they're unique. So they tune in a different frequency based on your unique vibration. And this connects you to consciousness because consciousness is not localized. Think about this collective consciousness as just this consciousness that is everywhere. And the way you vibrate is where you connect to it. And so your expression is unique because you connect to it in a different way, in a different place than someone else. And it is this unique vibration that creates this expression. And when this expression is uninhibited by the resistance of the, the mind and the body, then you are expressing yourself authentically. This authentic expression is unique to you because of your particular vibration. And this is where the personality comes from, is this connection to the consciousness. Sure, we can say you have the personality from your behaviors and, and from your mind and the body, but most of this is really these ingrained habit patterns. Until it is flowing unrestricted, it is very difficult for you to see which of these traits is really your personality and which ones are habit patterns. Because many of these habit patterns are unconscious. And until they become conscious, how do you know? Now, the other thing that separates this perspective that this 
psychologist had was that he was still identifying with false ideas of who you think you are. Whereas in yoga psychology, we try to let go of all identifications except for the the truth, the identification of consciousness. And so he was saying to identify with someone who had the behavior of someone successful. And this is better than the previous way of looking at someone as unsuccessful. But there's still identifications and there's still attachments and they're still limiting your experience, maybe not as much because they're a little broader, a little more open, but they're all identifications. Instead of changing one thought from another, in yoga psychology, we talk about learning how to have no thoughts. And this is one of the major differences in in Western psychology compared to yoga psychology is they're trying to help you acclimate to these issues by changing your thinking. And when they try to change your thinking, they're trying to change it from one way of thinking to another way of thinking, having the thought of, I'm not good enough to a thought of, I am good enough. While this is healthier, it's still having a thought. It's still an attachment to an idea. And I give you an example of this to to really show you. Is imagine that you're an addict and you drink alcohol, you're addicted to alcohol. And so you wake up every day and say, I need a drink, I need a drink. And you do this for years and years of your life. And then one day you recognize that I have to change this behavior. And so the mantra then becomes... I can't drink, I can't drink, I can't drink. Sure, it's a little healthier this way because you're not drinking now and the liver is recovering, but how is the mind? Is it at peace? No, because you've traded one addiction for another addiction, one thought for another thought. And instead of doing that, you want to learn how to let go of the thinking completely. And the same thing with this idea of who you think you are is not to have any identifications of who you are, to not let the possibility of reacting to these identifications happen. And so this is what we do from yoga psychology is we try to stop the mind instead of just replacing unhealthy thoughts with more healthy thoughts but are still limiting And it's interesting because they did scientific studies saying that this actually was helpful for these people and that it proved that these people were more successful when they thought of their future selves instead of the present, they thought of the successful self. It's interesting because we're starting to see more and more scientific research prove the principles of yoga psychology. And so how did yoga become... And how did the system of psychology become perfected? Well, you're talking yoga psychology began, what, 5,000 years ago, and it was from people who were able to tune into these truths. They were able to stop their mind to see what was behind it. They were able to build up the sensitivity to the body to feel the prana flowing through it to feel the vibration of the body. 
And, and this is what Buddha did, right? Buddha was able to tune his mind in into such a sensitive way that he can feel all the vibration of these atoms. And sure, we can prove this scientifically, but he proved it experientially. And these yogis proved this experientially. And this is why just now as the science is catching up, that it's really catching up to yoga psychology and the fact that it's proving all these these things that people knew for 5,000 years. I mean, Western psychology is very new compared to this. And yoga psychology is very effective in learning how to understand who you are and understand how to better yourself. I'm not saying Western psychology doesn't work, and and there's some aspects of it that are are very important and very helpful. But even this you can supplement with yoga. And when I say yoga, I am speaking about the system of yoga, which is yoga psychology. And so when someone asks you if you do yoga, and you think, I go into the yoga studio, I enroll my yoga mat— This is when I do yoga, and when I roll my mat back up and I go out of the studio, I'm not doing yoga. This is incorrect. Yoga is the way of looking at yourself through the system, the system that entails the physical, mental, and spiritual. The aspect that's physical is actually a very small part of yoga, this understanding of how the mind and the body work together in these feelings and how this vibration affects your behavior and how your thinking affects this is the system of yoga psychology. And so if you're just going to these classes and thinking, I'm doing yoga and this is it, it's not this. Because when you go out, what it is also doing is it's making your mind more sensitive. It's realigning your body so that these built-up sensations that have been stuck in the body because of these habit patterns of thinking are now becoming loosened, and the prana is flowing through these areas of your body and allowing them to rise to the surface of not just the physical body, but consciousness. Because many of these sensations you're having, not many, probably 99% of these sensations that you're having in the body, you are unaware of. Consciously. Unconsciously, you're aware of it because this is why you have difficulty sitting still. Right? If you're sitting there tapping your foot, what is that about? Why are you tapping your foot like this? And it's because there's some emotion that's in there and you're trying to not let it affect you. Look at someone who is neurotic. And what is it to be neurotic? It means that you're very emotional, you have so many things going on in your mind. And what is the behavior of someone who is neurotic? Are they able to sit still? Are they able to be quiet? No. And it's because there's so much going on inside of them that they're resisting, that they have to constantly be moving or talking, they're resisting it. And what yoga teaches us, the physical aspect of yoga, the meditation, is how to become still, to recognize these internal experiences. And the more you can calm the mind down and 
make that mind more sensitive, the more you can recognize these vibrations within and you can tune yourself into the prana, to the flow of prana. And if you want to heal yourself, you need to cultivate such a sensitive mind to feel the subtle vibration of the flow of prana. And if you want to connect to your intuition, what is intuition? But it's a vibration. And it's a vibration that's more sensitive than the vibration of thought. And this is why when you're thinking, you can't tune into the intuition. The way to tune into intuition is to stop thinking. And so this is what you're trying to do in yoga is to cultivate the sensitivity. And when you're going to the yoga classes and you're saying, this is my yoga experience, and then you go home, you need to build upon the sensitivity to feel what this experience is doing to you and recognize the truth behind it. To raise your awareness to recognize the truth within you. And this is the whole process of yoga, psychology of yoga, is to recognize the truth behind consciousness. Where does this consciousness come from and how does it flow through you and how is your physical, mental being affecting it and your karma? And how does this relate to everyone that's in your environment? And the better that you get at this, the healthier that you will be and the more in tune with your authentic nature you will be. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They're handcrafted Native American style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 hertz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American-style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code, the story of me podcast and get 10% off. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, please help support the show by sharing it with a friend, rating, reviewing it. And also you can go to the storyofmepodcast.com to make a donation at the bottom of the website. There's a donate button. You can also connect with me on all social media. There's links to the social media on the website. And submit your questions for the show. I'd love to hear from you and and be able to answer some of your questions on the episodes. So until the next time, 
from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding. Allow love to be the current that carries your words and actions. Through life, through life.